Well, good morning, Crossroads. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor of students, and it's great to be with you this morning. We have so many reasons to celebrate this morning. It's a fantastic day. It's the first Sunday of 2021. Is anyone excited about 2021? Yes. We get to say goodbye to 2020, and we are excited uh, to move on to what is next. It's also the first Sunday we have been reopened in a while inside. We are inside of the Goshen campus. Are you excited to be here? Yes. And also at other campuses. And if you haven't been, uh, feel comfortable to be yet, we invite you to join in the near future because we're going to stay open as long as we can. And we're excited to be here open. We're also excited because today we kick off a new series called Circle Maker. Uh, and in Circle Maker, we are going to go all in in our prayer life. And as we begin 2021, we are deciding as a church and as a people, and hopefully as individuals, to, to focus on what it means to be people of prayer, to, to, to focus on what it means to, to actually dedicate ourselves to become people of prayer. We believe that prayer is something that can make a profound difference in our life. If we become people of prayer, that prayer can be a difference maker in our own hearts and minds and lives as we move forward. And we're convinced that if we want to make 2021 the best year possible, it needs to start with us focusing on prayer. And so the Circle Maker is a journey we hope you join us on, because not only do we believe it will make a difference in our own life, in our finances, in our relationships, and in the way we, we, we are in the world, we also believe it can turn us into difference makers. It can turn us individually as people who are making a difference in the world. And, and, and we believe it can turn our church, it can turn Crossroads into a church that continues to make a profound impact in the world. And we believe and we're convinced that, that our world is in desperate need of, of people uh, to come to know Jesus. And so we start Circle Maker uh, today because we want to become a difference maker in our communities here in Elkhart County, also in Mishawaka, and in St. Pete, and Edwardsburg, and all the counties we want to be in in the future. We believe that what we do in this series will have a difference on who we are, and it will impact our community. And so we invite you in the next couple of weeks as we kick off 2021, and we're looking for new habits and ways to be better uh, that you may come into Crossroads, or watching us online, or keep coming to drive-in, uh, wherever we want you to make this a part of your routines, because we believe it will make a difference in our world. And so at Circle Maker, what we are going to do is we are going to dream big. Uh, we are going to look at some big, big God dreams that he wants to give us. And we're going to dream big about ourselves and what he wants to do in our families. Uh, also in what he wants to do in our individual life. But also we're going to look at maybe some of the big dreams that God has given Crossroads to make a difference in the world. And the Circle Maker, we're also going to pray hard. We're going to uh, not settle for just these short prayers. And if things don't get answered the way we want, we're not just going to give up. We're going to pray through. We're going to pray hard. We're going to dedicate ourselves to prayer. We're going to pray hard. Uh, we also are, are going to think long. We're not going to just think about short-term things or short-term goals, but also long-term. We're going to think with the end in mind and think about even what kind of legacy we are leaving for the people that come after us. And this is what we're doing. We're dreaming big. We're praying hard. And we're thinking long in Circle Maker. And we invite you on this journey, which starts today as we dive in 
uh, to, to, to prayer. You know, ever for, since the time I was little, prayer has been explained simply to me. Uh, it's, it's simply prayer is having a conversation with God, making a connection with God. It's just talking to God. And I can hear my Sunday school teachers in my head just saying, all you have to do is talk to God like he's your friend. Which sounds easy, and I think many times it's way easier than we make it. But I also know this, because I've been married for a few years. Uh, communication is hard. And there are some times where I think I'm communicating something, and I, I turn out I'm really bad at communication. You can ask my wife. I promise she'll tell you that. Where I think I've communicated something and made a connection about something, and then she has no idea what we're talking about because I've been terrible at communication. Communication uh, can be hard. In fact, uh, there was a, a couple in, in the last couple of years uh, who had, uh, were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. Uh, and it became known to some people, and they were doing an interview for some uh, publication, and uh, the people were just asking uh, the wife, what kinds of things have you done in your marriage uh, to, to make sure things still work, that you, that you guys can be so committed to each other, that your marriage can be so good after such a long period of time. And she started to say, you know, my husband really loves cooking. He loves when I make him food. And I found early in our marriage that he loves Brussels sprouts. And so I, I know, who does that, right? So she's, she says, I, I know that, that I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't like to make Brussels sprouts. But I know that if I make them, uh, that it will make my husband profoundly happy. And so I've learned that little sacrifices like that along the way that I make for my husband's happiness have gone a long way because he's always so happy after I make him these Brussels sprouts. Uh, later, they, they interviewed the husband, and the husband was asked about some of the same things. And, and he said, yes, I love when my wife cooks for me. And you know, I've learned that my wife loves to make Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Says that she just loves it. And I've never really liked this stuff, but I know that if, if I tell her that I like Brussels sprouts, it will make her happy. And she is, is, feels fulfilled in making that for me. And, and both of these people are making sacrifices, and they have consumed in their life hundreds and hundreds of Brussels sprouts for no reason. They both think they're sacrificing to make the other person happy. They both think they're doing what the other person needs. And you know, all it would have taken is a simple conversation to say, do Brussels sprouts actually matter to you? Do you actually like Brussels sprouts? Or, or something just to say, I don't even want Brussels sprouts, right? It doesn't matter if I don't eat Brussels sprouts. They, they've, they've failed to answer, uh, to ask uh, a simple question is, what matters to you? Does this actually matter. And so today, as we approach our connection and our conversations with God, um, I think we can get caught up in routines. And we can get caught up in ways of praying and connecting with God. And, and it can go years of our life. And, and we think it's this, it's this sacrificial love type of thing that we're doing. But I think sometimes uh, we get into rhythms and we, and we don't stop to ask this important question. So today the question we're looking at is this, is what matters to God when we pray? I don't want our relationship with God to be like the couple with the Brussels sprouts where we've gone so long and not asking this question. And so regardless of how far and advanced in your faith with Jesus is today, we're going to look at this question. I think it's time as we start a new year to also look at how we can refresh our connection with a living God. 
We're going to do that by looking at five scriptures, and each scripture we're looking at, I I believe, gives us a glimpse at what matters to God when we pray. All these scriptures are found in the New Testament, and we're going to be skipping around a little bit, but we start right here in Mark chapter 11. It says this. It says, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first... Forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. This is an interesting chapter in Scripture, and these these are the words of Jesus spoken in Mark 11. Jesus speaks to us, and if you follow the chapter, just a few verses before he's speaking about prayer in this moment, Jesus walked into a temple to worship himself. And what he saw in this temple just appalled him. In fact, it struck him to his core. He hated it. And one of the times we see Jesus erupted in anger and he he took the tables and he flipped them and he grabbed a whip and he started just whipping people because as he walked in the temple to worship, he saw that people were taking advantage of each other. That the religious system that had been created was designed to take advantage of the poor, take advantage of the press, to step on the people who were already down. And it filled Jesus with so much anger Because he knows that we aren't created to live in conflict with each other. And yet so many times what we choose to do is to continually live in conflict with the people around us. And what Jesus says right after that as he's teaching on prayer is he says, I want you to pray and as you pray I want to give you big things and I want to to help you in your life as, as you pray to me. But first, he says, but first. You have to offer forgiveness to the people in your life because your relationships with each other matter. The first thing we recognize from this scripture is this. Our relationships matter to God when we pray. When we come to God in prayer, our relationships matter. And if our relationships are out of whack and the people that we are with, if all these, this resentment and bitterness is filling our hearts, it makes a difference in the type of connection that we can have with a living God. You know, I think in our life, at least in my life, it's easy. And the the mode I like to operate in it is is I put my life in different compartments. I have my friendships over here, and and I have that compartment, and I have like the stuff I like to do for fun, and we have that compartment, and then we have like our work life as a compartment, and then we have like our family life as a different compartment. We have all these compartments. Some of us maybe even have like a secret life that we don't let anyone else into or know about. We have all these compartments of life, and I think our relationships is one of those things we prefer to kind of keep on the side, and we might even have like our church compartment, and we come to church, and, and we love that compartment to open it and to be at church or to be around people of faith, uh, all the while we keep this relationship compartment off to the side, hoping that no one really knows that, that the relationships in our life are just a, a mess. See, God isn't interested in all the different compartments. He's interested in the whole you. He's not interested in just one or two. He's not just interested in the church compartment you've given to him. He's interested in the whole, the whole part of us, our whole being, our entire person. And, and so my question as we think about this idea is, is this, is have you, have we, given God control? Have you given him permission to enter your relationships? Because our relationship with the people around us, it matters to God when we pray. We are not created to live in consistent conflict with each other. Let's go on to to number two, uh, found in James 4. He says this, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. 
You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives, your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And as James is writing here, he, he, he comes down with a pretty heavy indictment on the human heart. He recognizes that, that our hearts are often twisted and our motives are often wrong. And even when things on the surface look like they're okay, there is turmoil and things going on on the inside. And James wants us to recognize when we come to know Jesus, when we come to prayer, pray with God, our motives matter. The, the core of our being, the, the heart of what we're going through matters to God. He's not just interested in what we present ourselves to be like. You know, I grew up in church, and, and honestly, my entire life, I barely missed any Sunday. My parents didn't really give me an option. It was like I had to be at church. My dad was a pastor, and so every time the doors were open, that's where I was. And honestly, looking back, I'm grateful for them teaching me uh, this, this pattern of life and this routine uh, in my life. But one of the bad habits I picked up about being at church so often and so much and so regularly was I learned pretty quickly uh, how to put on a, a, a face that made myself okay to be around at church. I felt like I had to put up this facade. I called him Church Dustin. And Church Dustin, man, Church Dustin was great. I, I knew what to say. I knew all the rules to follow. I knew all the right answers. I even knew like the right demeanors and the right people to talk to. I know what one of the elderly people wanted me to recite a Bible verse, and I learned the same two that could get me candy. I mean, I just learned, I learned the system Church Dustin, I was really good at being Church Dustin. And when I was at church, it was almost like I automatically went into Church Dustin. I remember there was one time my friend who was not a follower of Jesus, uh, his dad started coming to my church because he had met my dad at some of our sporting events. And my friend kind of reluctantly came along and he wasn't sure about the whole church thing and the God thing, but we were friends and so we started hanging out and, and I was just trying to be accepted. I wanted him to think I was cool or whatever. And so I remember even kind of showing him church Dustin. And I remember with my friend, I was showing him how I like to be fake around the other people at church. And I, I showed him this facade I put up and we even like high-fived afterwards. And, and, and looking back, I'm filled with so much regret for that moment. Because I misrepresented who I, who I wanted to be. But I also misrepresented what, what God wants from us. And I misrepresented what church is supposed to be about. Because God is not interested in the surfacey facade that we like to present to other people. He was not interested in church, Dustin. He's not interested in the show. He doesn't care about your show. He cares about the heart. And even though everything looked good on the outside, my motives and my heart was all wrong. God cares about your heart. He cares about what is going on. And let's be honest, we can fool other people. We're good at it. But we cannot fool God. He sees our heart. My question today is this. As we recognize that the human heart is often twisted, it's important as we seek God in prayer to ask this question. Have you, have we given God permission to change your heart, to change your motives? 
Because I'm convinced as we continually seek God in prayer, and if you join us on this journey, God will, will speak directly to your heart. He will bypass the facade that we show other people, and he wants to get at the core of who you are, the core of your motives. Our motives matter to God. Our heart matters to God when we pray. Let's go to number three. It says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Guys, there is power in prayer. Prayer is, is a, a powerful and effective. It can produce wonderful results. And that scripture even gives us a, a, a bit of a, 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 a thing to follow. It gives us a path to follow. First it says the earnest prayers. Right, it says prayers that are real, right? Not prayers that are fake and showy and don't really mean anything, but prayers that tap into your heart. Earnest prayers, real prayers. And then it says of a righteous person, of a person who is living in right relationship with God. And if you look at what he's talking about as a righteous person throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, when it refers to a righteous person, what he's saying is somebody who is living a life in obedience to what God has told them to do who is in a right relationship, not living in disobedience and rebellion, but living in close connection to God. That's what a righteous person means. We recognize this in the scripture, the way we live matters. Before we go any further, what I'm not saying is if you're living in sin or living in disobedience, God doesn't hear your prayer. I don't believe that's true. I believe the opposite is true, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he said that even in that scripture, it said, if you confess your sins to God, he hears you and he can offer you to be healed. So first thing I want to say is this, if, if we're living in sin, uh, Jesus is our savior. He has come here to offer us freedom and forgiveness from sins. And his grace is not about a fancy prayer. His grace isn't something we earn because we say the right words or even make the right decisions. His grace is given to us freely. There you go. <laughs> And, and His grace is here for us today, and, and, and I, it's, it's amazing news, it's good news, it's the gospel. And we love the idea of Jesus being our Savior, but the reality of the good news is it's even better than that. It doesn't stop at Him just being our Savior. He actually invites us to let Him be our Lord. And, and, and to let Jesus be our Lord is a little bit harder. It's a little bit more of a challenge because we actually have to begin to let him change our attitudes and change our heart and change our behavior because our behaviors and our attitudes and the way we live and the choices we make matter to God. You know, I am the father of a four-year-old boy named Davis, and I love uh, getting to hang out with my son. And so many times as I am with him, I live in the world of obedience and disobedience, right? Because uh, often as father, I'm asking him to listen to certain instructions. And it's amazing to watch my son in both the world of disobedience and the world of obedience. Um, just uh, last week, I got to be with my family at Christmas, which may have disobeyed some rules, but we're going to keep that just between us. 
And I was with uh, some of my brothers and sisters, which I never get to see. And uh, we were all at my parents' house, and the, the, my car was blocked. Uh, and so the car with the car seat, which is really locked down, was blocked. Uh, and we were going on just a quick errand. And so my dad let me borrow his car, and I broke more rules. I disobeyed more rules and because I just wanted to go somewhere quick, and we'd be right back. And so I threw my son in the back seat, buckled him up without a car seat. I know it was a bad parenting move, okay? Quit judging me. I put my niece, uh, his cousin, in the back. She was 13, and I figured she can be safe. And I said to my son, I said, Son, uh, please uh, do not touch the shiny, sparkling handle as we drive. All right, because that is a dangerous thing. Please do not touch it, which again was probably not my best parenting move because it made him aware. And I actually didn't think much about, about it after that because my cars have, have child locks engaged. And, and so we started driving. And here we are on a road. We started to pick up speed uh, just to turn off less than a mile on a big road. Uh, and right as soon as we got on the big road, I heard, I saw the lights in my car light up. And I heard the sound of the car door disengaging. And I looked at my son. He couldn't stand the temptation of the shiny door handle. And so my instinct immediately was to yell at him, and, and I yelled loud, and I kind of freaked out, and I, I pulled over quickly, and I got out, and I slammed the car door shut, and I gave him a mini lecture about how he has to listen to daddy, and he could have got hurt. And my son, in his disobedience, curled into a ball, and he hid from me. And every time he disobeys or gets in trouble, he hides behind a couch, under a cushion, under a blanket, because he knows, he feels ashamed of himself. And, you know, when we live in disobedience, we often are trying to hide from God, and we're hoping that God doesn't figure us out. But the crazy thing is this, is, is my son's disobedience does not change my love for him. I just want what's best for him. And the last thing I want is for my kid to hide from me. And the last thing God wants is for us to hide from him. He wants us to live and obedience. And you know, I love when my son says, Daddy, I love you. It gives me all the feels. I love it. But I also love when my son chooses out of his own four-year-old free will to listen to what Daddy says. As he lives in obedience, he is showing me his love for me, which is sometimes even far greater than the words I love you. And guys, if we want to live in love of God, it's not simply lip service that we say a couple times a week at a church service. If we want to say we love God, it means that we begin to live in obedience. It means we call him not just our Savior, but also our Lord. And so my question as we think about prayer today for us is this, have you been living in obedience? Because the prayers of an obedient person are powerful and produce wonderful results. Let's go to number four. It says this. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And here is a scripture that, that I think the beginning of it I love. It said, listen, if you have faith in God, then, then, then he will help you accomplish great things. And we love that. What a great idea that putting our trust in God, it, it helps us uh, accomplish his goals and our goals for our life. But to be honest, that's not what the scripture said if you read it fully. It doesn't say if you put your faith in God. It says if you put your faith in God alone. 
That's a hard word for us to add because there are so many things that, that are easier to put our trust in. It's easy to, to put our trust in ourselves and our own ability and in our education and, and, and maybe in our, our being, how we've been raised. It's easy to put our trust in ourselves. It's also easy to put our trust in other people and even when we've been, been let down to find someone else to put our trust in. And it's easy to put our trust in, in these things over and above God. It's easy to put our trust in our finances and our ability to provide for ourselves. And many of us begin to put our trust in governments and systems of, of, of politics that, that we hope are better than others. And there are so many things that are vying for our loyalty. And, and what this scripture said is a divided loyalty is not what God is after. He wants us to put our faith in Him alone. You know, when I decided to move to Crossroads, I felt like God had called me here. Uh, my wife and I uh, had been living in Oklahoma for six years, and it was a hard decision to leave not only her family and, and people that we loved, but also a place that we had been for years and a place that she had grown up. But we felt God was calling us here to Crossroads. And so uh, w once we made the decision, there were all these things we had to do, and, and one of them was selling a house, and, and honestly, I felt like I bought the house on accident. I don't even know what happened. I just ended up owning a house, and so now I was like, now I have to sell this house. I don't even know what to do, uh, and so we started asking questions, and, and it was just like the worst timing of a couple events because as we were about to leave to move here to northern Indiana, God forbid I'd come to this place. You know, that, that God was also, uh, he, he had, he had, we were on a, a trip to Alaska. I was speaking at a, at a camp up there. I um, mean, it was this crazy few weeks. And I remember being in Alaska, and we, we had just a few days before we were coming back, and then one and a half days to pack everything we owned and get on a truck and, and drive to Indiana. Uh, and we got a phone call from a realtor saying, we have someone who put in an offer. They're going to buy the house. We just have to pass the inspections. And we just felt, we began to praise God, and we'd been praying, and, and we felt like God had just provided this amazing moment for us to see his faithfulness. We were getting on a, a, a flight home from Alaska. We had just a couple of days now before we moved, and we got another phone call from a realtor saying they did the inspection, and they realized the roof had failed, and our buyers want to back out unless the roof is fixed. And just a pit in my stomach began to sink, because I was like, I don't know how to, I don't even know what to do with that looking up prices, and I, my mind began just to think about all the things I had to do, I had to accomplish, and I didn't have the money, and who, what could I do? Maybe, I, maybe I'm going to have to get a second job and move to Indiana to continually pay for my mortgage. And my mind began to run about all the things I had to do. And, and eventually we paused in prayer and just said, God, we, we're desperate. We, we believe this is what you want, but we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. Uh, and and I, I began to realize that it was like in second nature for me as soon as I got news that seemed to doubt what I thought God wanted for me. I began to look for other alternatives besides God's providence that could get my problem solved. I think many times as friction or as challenge come in our life, we, we quickly adopt a second mode of things to trust. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go after things and do things, but, but man, I, it was quick for me to begin to trust myself and my own abilities. Uh, and, and really, it took one phone call to, to the insurance agent, and, and a few days later, um, the roof was fixed, and the realtor said, she's never seen a roof get put on that fast. It was on in five days after we saw it didn't pass inspection. We had a new roof on our house. And it was like God was reminding me, he said, Dustin, when you trust in me and when you live in me alone, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So when we pray, what matters to God is our faith matters to God. 
our trust in God alone. And what I'm not saying here in this moment is that if you just believe enough or if you pray enough that all of your wildest dreams will come true, because that would mean that, that, that it's up to you and not up to God. And it's not up to you. It's not up to us. But we have to make a decision where we are putting our trust. My question today is this, have you put your trust in God alone? Do we trust God to provide and to, to, to give to us the things that we need and the things that we ask for? Have you put your trust in God alone? And number five, we're finally at our, our fifth uh, thing that what matters to God that we see in Scripture. And it says this in 1 John. It says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. We are confident that he hears us when we ask for anything that pleases him. And this is truly the heart of prayer. That we will eventually, as we continually devote ourselves to prayer, we will begin to discover what it is that pleases God. And I think sometimes we get this backwards and we hope that if we just pray enough that maybe one day God will discover what might please us and grant us our wishes. That is not the heart of prayer. We get prayer opposite. Prayer is about us finding out what pleases God. And this is what we discover. Number five, God's will matters. And I think what what our hope is as we pray and as we dedicate ourselves to prayer this season in in this series of Circle Maker, we'll see that if we continually give ourselves to prayer, God will actually begin to change our will. He will begin to realign our will. And if it's gotten out of realignment, he'll begin to to realign it so that it will begin to look like his. And our will and his will will begin to come the same thing. Guys, God's will matters. Even Jesus, as he's praying before he's about to be crucified, he's on his knees in the garden and and he's crying tears of blood. And he says, God, if you would just please take this burden from me. He says, anything. I would rather do anything than this. But... I recognize it is not my will, but your will be done. And as Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, God, not my will, but your will on earth as it is in heaven. God's will matters. And here's my question for you. Is is your life and are your prayers honoring God? Are they pleasing to God? Is your will being transformed to look the same as God? We're going to have a few moments here today to, to just respond to this message. Because God isn't interested in, in, in just surface things. Truly what matters to God when we pray is this. I could sum the whole thing up in this. What matters to God, what matters most to God when we pray is this, a real relationship with you. He wants the real you. And our motives matter and our heart matters and our relationships matter. But at the core of it all is the core of us all. We matter to God. And so just as we pray and as we respond and as we hopefully make choices that we're giving ourselves to prayer in this challenge, we hope that we meet with God in this moment and that we take an honest look at ourselves because God's taking an honest look at you. What he wants is you. Let's pray. Jesus, as we are here in this moment, as we reflect on your promises, as we celebrate a new year, Jesus, we recognize it's a new opportunity to to change and to be better. And God, you invite us into a relationship with you that means something that's not just a surface, but that's at the core. And as we connect with you, even now in prayer, we give you ourselves. 
help make a difference in our lives this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, here um, in this moment, uh, this campus, we are about to have a, a chance to respond to what God might be speaking to you. And I don't know what that is. But we believe that God wants to make you into a difference maker. He wants to make you into someone who, who, who helps shape your families. And he wants to, to help make a difference through you. And, and this morning could be a, a marker where we choose for our relationship with God to mean something more. And so in these moments, let's be difference makers.